Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, October 19th, 2016. Warning, today's episode could be controversial, but it's not controversial for the sake of controversy. No, it's designed to help you see something that you need to be looking at, something that's hiding in plain sight. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up the Scriptures and compare with the most popular Pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, authors, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose songs we need to be singing, and whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God to test and see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says, or if, well, they're teaching something completely different. Now, like I said, today's episode will be controversial. Yeah, we're going to be taking a look at, well, the heresy and false doctrine, hiding in plain sight. That's right. Hiding right there in the lyrics of Hillsong's songs. Uh huh. And uh, I've invited Amy Spreeman and uh, Stephen Kozar to come on the program as we one of our pirate gang conversations, if you would, as we walk through and theologically, well, compare what the lyrics of Hillsong's songs actually say to the written word of God. Now, popular music, you know, the, the stuff we sing in churches today, oftentimes what is in uh, popular Christian contemporary worship songs, um, it's either, well, ambiguous uh, at best, um, biblically tenuous, strained, twisted, or in many cases, flat out heretical. And the reality is, is what you sing does matter. Now, we know that this is true. I mean, I I think back to a time in my life when I was a lot younger. I I used to swim on a swim team. And uh, when I was in high school, I mean, this is... (laughs) This is going way back. Early '80s, I was in a uh, on a swim team, and uh, there was a kid in my on my swim club, and uh, you know he was in junior high at the time, and uh, you know he, during swim practice, you know he between sets he would be singing the songs, you know, singing literally, you know, 
uh, of ACDC or Motley Crue or, you know, something like that, uh, Black Sabbath. And the lyrics he was singing, that he was singing, were, they were awful. And I remember one time confronting him in the pool saying, what is this that you're singing? I mean, you're praising the devil. I mean, that's just awful. And he's, you need to stop making a big deal about that. It's just a song, he said. You know, you know, it's, and I like the way it sounds. And, it, we, you know, in a situation like that, we can all see the obvious problem. But the reality is, is that the devil is hard at work in the church. And scripture warns us in First Timothy chapter four, that in the last days that uh, there will be people who are teaching and believing doctrines of demons. And so, the, you know, remember, the devil comes to us not dressed in a union, you know, red, you know, devil suit with horns and a pitchfork. He comes to us masquerading as an angel of light. And so we need to be Bereans and we need to be biblically discerning even about the songs that we sing. doesn't matter if the tune is catchy or the music is great and we love the way it sounds. The question is, what is the theology being taught in these things? And so we're going to be uh, diving into a controversial topic. And notice we're not just saying, oh, because it's contemporary, therefore, ergo, it must be bad. No, we're going to actually take a look, a hard look, at the actual uh, lyrics themselves and see if we can make heads or tails of it uh, you know, from the point of view of sound, biblical, Christian doctrine and orthodoxy. That's what we're going to do. So, um, you know, in, in, in by way of uh, preparing you, the program doesn't end when the interview ends. No, I got one last bit that I want to uh, throw into today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, and that is to tell you a little bit about one of the early uh, writers of Hillsong music. A gentleman by the name of Jeff Bullock, back in the 80s and 90s, he's the guy who practically invented the name Hillsong itself and uh, and how he has come to be theologically at odds with Hillsong's music, even the songs that he helped write. So uh, that'll be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And so let's get to it. Here is my uh, conversation recorded earlier today with uh, Amy Spreeman and Stephen Kozar as we take a hard look, a biblical Berean look, at the uh, the lyrics and the theology uh, found in the songs put out by Hillsong. All right, on the line I have uh, Steve Kozar and Amy Spreeman. We're going to have another one of our pirate gang conversations, you know, where we team up and and muse about things, but uh, we're, we're talking with... Hey, Chris. Hey, Steve. How's it going, Amy? Hey, going well. <laughs> Good. Yep. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a really important topic, and one that I think a lot of people, um, it's, it, they're going to not have a lot of patience for. Um, and so the best thing I can uh, recommend is that you uh, take the time, listen to our interview today, and at the tail end of, of uh, the interview, our, our conversation... I've added a little bit more to the program, so the program doesn't end with the end of our um, our interview today. But we're going to be talking about the lyrics. In other words, it, it gets really good after we leave. Is that what you're saying, Chris? <laughs> of course. The good part of the show comes after we're done. Steve, listen. It's radio gold as soon as you hang up. Okay, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just want to contribute to the team. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but um, the topic we're talking about, we're going to be looking at and examining the lyrics of uh, many popular Hillsong praise songs. And um, for a lot of people, they, they're going to think that this is just nitpicking. 
that this is over the top. This is not necessary. And um, I would beg to differ. I think that what we sing has an impact on what it is that we believe. In fact, the historic church has talked about what's called the principle of lex orendi, lex credendi. And it's a Latin phrase, but basically means the law of prayer is the law of belief. And uh, the arch heretic Arius, back in his time, uh, kind of picked up on that and used popular tunes that he wrote uh, to carry the theology that he taught, which was the Arian heresy. That's one of the reasons why it it was able to get such legs quick and spread throughout the church as rapidly as it, as it did, and then kind of embed itself deep within Christianity, and it took a long time to get out. And uh, what I would basically say is this, is that there are a lot of people who will spend a lot of time examining all types of stuff on an in-depth level, and uh, but they don't e- equally do that when it comes to things that matter. An example of something that really doesn't matter would be the, uh, the conspiracy that began in uh, 1969 regarding the Beatles. Uh, there was a satirical uh, news story that, that you know, was written by a college student that ended up creating an entire, <clears throat> well, phenomenon across the world and uh, with, that created the belief that there was a conspiracy created to hide the fact that the original Paul McCartney had somehow died in a, uh, in, in a car crash in November of 1966. But he, wow. he, he really didn't. But, I mean, this became such a craze that people scrutinized all of the lyrics of the Beatles songs, looked at their album art for clues and hints to kind of back up the, uh, the conspiracy, if you would, that they were hiding the fact that Paul McCartney – uh, the current the current one that we know isn't the real Paul McCartney, but had been replaced by, um, you know, a, a a lookalike in order to hide the fact that the original Paul McCartney died. And and, and as the conspiracy grew, there were people who believed that uh, that the you know, British Secret Service was involved in the conspiracy and behind it and all that kind of stuff. But we as Christians, we do not have to look very far to realize that you you're not a conspiracy theorist. If you understand what Scripture says, and Scripture mm-hmm. explicitly teaches that that we are at war and that Christianity has an enemy, and that enemy is the, none other than the devil himself, and the Scriptures warn us that in the last days, that in the last days, that people would follow deceitful spirits in the teachings of demons. In fact, the devil himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so the idea here is is that we as Christians, according to what Scripture tells us, calls us to be biblically discerning and to scrutinize all the things that we consume as part of our life as Christians, from the doctrine, the teachings that we're taught, to even the songs that we sing, to look and examine them in light of Scripture. And uh, and so what we're going to be doing today is is so much more important than trying to figure out if if the Paul McCartney who's running around the landscape today is the original Paul McCartney or not. In fact, what we're going to If he's be- an imposter, he's a really talented imposter. That's all I can say. Amazingly talented imposter. In fact, I kind of yeah. like this this imposter better than the original if that's how that goes. But uh, <laughs> but see the thing my point is that people will spend a lot of time, you know, you know, looking at clues for something that at the end of the day doesn't matter. But right. What we believe, teach, and confess, and what we sing about 
actually matters. So, um, yeah. and, and this is not my opinion. This is what scripture teaches. So uh, I've invited Amy and Steve and we've rolled up our theological sleeves and, and you know, sharpened our <laughs> theological doctrinal pencils. And we're going to be <laughs> doing some comparative work uh, by looking at, a, you know, uh, some... <laughs> Yeah, we got a host of these things. I don't even know exactly how many we have that we're going to be looking at, but we're going to look at quite a few of, I think we're up to what? It's maybe six of six or seven of the songs written by Hillsong, and we're going to do some comparative work, see if this actually squares with Scripture. What is the theology that's being promoted, if there's a theology at all, being promoted in many of these popular songs and what's behind it? And what I find fascinating is, is that, Amy, you've spent time... Uh, in in your past church experience, uh, planning and organizing uh, you know worship experiences, if if I, I can use that term, and Steve, mm-hmm. you've actually played on the praise band. Yep. Yeah. So we we sort of bring two very different um, but similar experiences to uh, kind of put some meat on what we're going to be talking about today. And even if you didn't know what the theology was behind Hillsong, even if you had no idea what they were into and uh, uh, what you're going to see is a a very counterfeit uh, religiosity that's not biblical Christianity, even if you didn't know, there's already two things uh, that I think the enemy has just set up so that we won't be Bereans. Like, you know, maybe if you're you're searching to find out if Paul's really dead from his album covers, um, the first thing is, is that, you know, these guys are very artistic and they will say, well, you guys are just being nitpicky because uh, we're just taking artistic license with real biblical concepts. You know, and the second thing is, is that they actually claim uh, within their worship uh, leadership that these songs are actually God-breathed, which implies it's just like Scripture. God breathed this music, uh, you know, these lyrics into us, and and this is what came out. So already we've got uh, some things set up so that people will not be Bereans. Right. Yeah, and— you also have to bring into the uh, whole picture of things this gigantic assumption on behalf of most Christians that if something is really popular and really famous, then it must be okay because somebody somewhere is checking it. Right. Right. When in fact, that's not taking place. Yeah. Um, and so we wind up look, looking like, you know, these kooky, nutty people making a big fuss over nothing because um, we're just not the majority. So um, I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, I don't go with the majority. Go with God's word. Yeah. Yeah, You know, that's 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 so uh, simple. And if you think something is true because everyone else thinks it's true, then then you actually need to reconsider how you uh, determine what truth is. Yeah. Because the majority is almost always wrong. Yeah. Even within the within the so-called church, which is actually a giant corporate entity more than an actual church. Right. And if you look at if you look at the money being made by worship songs, it's staggering. Uh, CCLI is the licensing organization that keeps track of praise songs and they collect money from churches. Churches have to keep track of what songs do they use every Sunday and they have to pay a fee to a licensing agent and the licensing agent distributes that money to the songwriters. So if you have a really big song, you can literally become a millionaire. You can get hundreds of thousands of dollars just from one song if it gets popular enough. Right. So we have to have a little bit of skepticism when that's the case and say, gosh, I wonder if people want to uh, make money off of this music as opposed to simply just praising God out of a pure heart. You know, right. that would be a pretty uh, 
pretty honest assessment on, on anyone's part to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit more skeptical from now on knowing that there's a ton of money being made here. Right. Yeah. Oh. right. Go ahead, Amy. And I was going to say, let's face it because we all want to just praise God with that pure, uh, that heart that our intent is to praise him and worship him, you know, corporately on a Sunday morning. And, you know, the question we have to ask ourselves is uh, what doctrine are we, what are we singing about? Uh, who is the song about? And am I being fed goat's milk and I don't even know it. And so that's what we want to do today is just really examine what we're being fed, what we're eating. Right. Yep. And so as we get into this, I, I would remind everybody of Jesus's own words. We, we uh, because of the way our culture works today, we are very pragmatic and we tend to believe that just because something is popular or that a lot of people are going along with it, that that somehow is indicative of God's blessing. But Jesus mm-hmm. says in Matthew seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, and the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And so, you know, let's let's put away this pragmatism, and let's let's honestly take a look at these lyrics and do some biblical scrutiny, and look at what theology is being taught and, you know, proclaimed in these things, and ask the tough question. Is this what God's Word teaches? Is this what Christians have historically believed? Or is this something completely different? I think that's kind of yeah. the way we're going to approach this. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to uh, do our best to give a fair theological assessment. And by way of disclaimer, I it has been, no joke, uh, more than two decades since I have attended churches that sing songs of this genre at all. And so um, I don't know the tunes. I don't know how these songs unfold musically, which I think is helpful for me because it gives me the ability to take a look at the lyrics with kind of a, you know, just look at them at face value because I don't have any emotional investment in, yeah. Oh, I love this song, or oh, this is my favorite. You know, every time it comes on, I I got to sing this and and do uh, you know my uh, my you know carpool karaoke with it. You know, <laughs> you know it's funny, Chris. In 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 hearing you say that, I was uh, the opposite in a way, in that I was the very loyal musician on the worship team who was playing these songs and really uh, spending the time to learn the parts. And to do my very best to contribute to what I thought was a really important thing, which was having people experience God through the worship service. But I never, in all the times that I was doing this, I never actually sat down and just read the lyrics and right. considered what they were teaching. Yeah, I, which is which is so bizarre because a song only has two things: it has words and it has music. And I was ignoring <laughs> pretty much fifty percent of it. And and there were some times where I would hear something in a song and I would think. Oh, that that doesn't really make any sense, or I don't know if I actually believe that. And I and I would always push that aside mm-hmm. and think to myself, well, somebody somewhere decided that this was a good song, and I just want to be a good team player. So right. I'm not going to make too big of a fuss. I must be missing something, you know. Maybe yeah. um, maybe I'll learn what this means at some point later down the road. So for right now, I'm just going to let it go, and kind of set aside that, <laughs> that little voice in the back of my head saying, "What are you doing here, Kozar? What is this?" Yep. Right. I'll tell you what else is true, because, being on the worship team, I liked yeah. being up there playing an instrument and having attention drawn to myself. Yeah, uh, I am ashamed to admit that now, because there was a part of me that genuinely thought I was doing a great thing for God, and I had some good intentions, 
But I'm telling you, the bigger the church and the better the band is, the more uh, it's a temptation for everybody on the worship team to think of themselves more highly than they should. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned something very important that uh, you didn't even think about what you were singing. You were just singing. You were there for the music and, and to the performance part. Um, and I would just ask our, you know, whoever's listening to this, if, if the sappy emotional music uh, were taken away and all you were, had left was the, the lyrics, um, you know, rather than the song, would you get that same warm, fuzzy feeling, <laughs> the same emotional high? Right. And what do you do with just the lyrics? So that's a really good way to discern. Yeah. It's just just read the lyrics out loud to yourself and ask yourself if this is biblical Christianity. And I think, Chris, you, you can't actually play uh, the music that we're going to review on, on the air, can you? Uh, well, I can, but <laughs> I'll be blunt. Um, I don't want to use the licenses we, we uh, pay for here at Pirate Christian Radio to send a royalty yeah. to uh, Hillsong. And so okay. because of that, I, 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 I'm not going to play any of the music because I don't want to have to report it to my licensing agencies and then have them send a, a royalty check to Hillsong. Okay. Yeah. And, th- and, and that's actually good because when you strip away all the emotional content of the music and you just listen to the words, I think we're going to find out that these are – this is some pretty bad writing. Yeah. Even just from an artistic standpoint, uh, yeah. this is some pretty bad poetry. But anyway, why don't you go to the first one? Okay, so the first song that we're going to review the lyrics of, again, I have no clue how the melody goes, is called The World Will Never Take. And here's how the lyrics go. "With, With all I'm holding inside, with all my hopes and desires, and all the dreams that I've dreamt, with all I'm hoping to be, and all that the world will bring, and all that fails to compare, you say you want all of me. I wouldn't have it any other way. I've got a savior, and he's living in me. Whoa, I want to know. I want to know you today. And you're the best thing that has happened to me. And the world will never take the world will never take you away. Now, <laughs> I gotta admit, my first impression of this, it sounds like it was written by a seventh grade girl to you know to her boyfriend. <laughs> And, um, you know, it, I think it, they got this from the, this is a Lizzie McGuire lyrics, isn't it? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I, I think it comes with a note that says, if you will be my boyfriend, click check. <laughs> yes. If not, no. Um, and already I've got a problem with the way this is cause it's very ambiguous. Yeah. Although it mentions the word savior. I mean, you can almost sing this to somebody you love and which is a problem. But the other thing is, is that there seems to be some kind of dream destiny thingy theology going on here regarding yep. and all yes. the dreams I've dreamt and all that the world will bring. And all, it, it, there's there's something here about you know, you're supposed to have some purpose dream destiny thingy. And w- it sounds like if I if I were to just interpret this via Christian, you know, assume that this is Jesus we're dealing with here. The question comes up is, what is he saving me from? It sounds like. He's saving me from purposelessness and saving mm-hmm. me so that I can experience and live my dreams. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it kind of says to me as well, you know. And I, the thing that jumped out at me after the dream destiny thing, because you can't unsee that, but the thing that jumped out at me is uh, the I, you know, this is about me with all I'm holding inside, with all my hopes and desires and all the dreams 
I've dreamt and what I'm hoping to be. Um, so, you know, this is this is something that is expressing uh, an extreme longing, of course. And so, you know, the question I have is, who is this really about? It, it certainly isn't about uh, this this savior that uh, allegedly is is Jesus that she's singing to. Uh, th- this is really about me and I and my dreams. And so, yeah. um, you know, and and just a little disclaimer because it, you know, if you're going to discern um, lyrics and music, uh, you don't necessarily just look for words like our, I, me, and then throw that song into the bin. Uh, you know, it's all about me bin and and just dismiss it um, because I really have no problem with, you know, personal pronouns used very sparingly. But, you know, if you think about some of the greatest hymns that that we sing that, that really are about Christ, um, then sings my soul, my savior, Lord, to thee, how great thou art. You know, clearly that's uh, some, something that uh, is about Jesus or a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. That's not, you know, those are clearly about God's majesty. They're sober-minded. Uh, they don't take you, uh, you know, down one phrase that you're repeating endlessly. They don't whip you into a heart-wrenching emotion about yourself and how you respond to Jesus. This emotion that, you know, from the greatest lyrics uh, really uh, are about his magnificence. Yeah. Yeah, and they would they would be uh, the, the, the best kind of lyrics would be talking about what we know for sure. Uh, and that is what what God's word tells us. When yeah. a song starts to be about what we're telling God about what we're going to do, you, you have to at some point admit that you're not really being honest when you tell God all that you're going to do for him or how you're now um, totally and 100% committed to him. Yeah. Even in this song, it says, you say you want all of me. I wouldn't have it any other way. Actually, that's not true. You're a sinner. And and your sin is actually the problem that's preventing you from having it any other way. Or uh, I don't know if I got that right, but yeah, <laughs> to make it, you're making a declaration about yourself that isn't true, and it's not based on God's word. Right. In fact, I think th- th- again, this is kind of that surrender theology that we'll see in in some of the other songs that yeah. really end up turning us into liars because it's it's working from this idea that somehow. Um, you know, Christ is activated through our total surrender, which then begs the question, when was when when exactly did you totally surrender to Christ? Because to say you've totally surrendered is to say that I fear, love and trust in God above all things. And that would mean that I don't fall short. The person who said, you know, if, so the song says Jesus wants all of me and our response is I wouldn't have it any other way. And yet every single day of your life, you continually fall short and sin. So you're, you're actually lying about yourself when you sing these types of lyrics. Yeah, yeah I agree. Okay. All right. Let's take a look at the next one. The next one's titled Free. And again, I don't know the, how the song goes, so I'm just going to read what the lyrics are and see if I can make biblical sense of it, heads or tails. All right, here's what it says. Would you believe me if I said that there are ones who can make the change, that we're the ones who can make the change in the world today? Um, I got to pause there and answer the question. (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, Next, uh, would you believe me if I said that all of your dreams in your heart can come true today? Hold on. I need a barf bag. Hang on a second. No. (laughs) No. Lizzie. Okay. Um, Would you believe me if I said that life could be all that you want it to be. No. Hmm. <laughs> no. Okay, so we start off with some questions that obvious I would say no to, 
and I would give biblical reasons why that's not the case. And then the song continues. And if I had wings, I could fly because all that I need you are. And if the world caved in around me, to you I'd still hold on because you're all that I believe and the one that created me. Jesus, because of you, I'm free. Would you believe me if I said that God can make miracles happen today? Yeah, Kind of. It depends on what you mean. Uh, would you believe me if I said that you don't need to wait for the answers before you step out in faith? Whoa. Uh, Whoa. No. <laughs> would you believe me if I said that nothing is ever impossible with God? Well, there's a biblical concept here, but it's being married to some other stuff that isn't true. And then the song ends, just live your life with God inside. You won't regret one moment of it and give all that you can for God for God. Wow. <laughs> Boy, this one's a train wreck. It yeah, is. I think I heard maybe two lines out of all of those, what, uh, 20 or 30 lines that you had there that could actually possibly be biblical. Yeah. Um <laughs> Wow. It's really setting people up for some serious disappointment if you actually think this is true. You know, and a lot of this music is geared towards younger people. Um, you have this kind of blind, naive hope that this this dream destiny thing is going to come true. Right. And Christianity becomes the vehicle to make your dreams come true. And that yes. is not what Christianity is supposed to do at all. Right. And so you wind up you wind up rejecting that Christianity. Um, and, you know, our hope would be that you would reject that false Christianity for the true Christianity. But in too many cases, people actually reject the whole thing because that's what they thought it was. They thought that Christianity was a vehicle to have all your dreams come true, which is yeah. just not true. Well, right. yeah, you're supposed to die to self and, you know, your dreams die with you. It's not your dream. It's uh, you abiding in Christ, uh, you picking up your cross and following him. And, and the other line, would you believe me if I said that we are the ones who can make the change in the world today? Um, that whole change agent idea is actually part of the, one of the main tenets of the new apostolic reformation. Yep. You know, you know, you are the change, uh, be the world changer and go out there. This is what, uh, Jesus is telling you, pick up your mantle and go step out in faith, that kind of thing. That is not biblical Christianity either. No. Yeah. Yeah. Th I mean, this one, th there's a lot of dangerous stuff in this song. In fact, I, w I would change the, the name of the song from free to bound. Um, yeah. and I mean, I mean, right off the bat, um, the, the great commission is not go and make a difference. It's go and make disciples. And, and so this idea of going out and being a change agent is completely antithetical to the actual mission that Christ has set the church on to go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Christianity is not about making the dreams in your heart come true today. In fact, real biblical Christianity teaches that out of your heart all comes all kinds of sinful desires. And then the question, would you believe me if I said that life could be all that you want it to be? Here's the problem. If, if life were to be all that I wanted it to be as a result of my sinful nature, man, I would make it so messed up it's not even funny. And so it's like not even acknowledging the sinfulness of our heart. And, yeah. and, and, and then this, this idea of faith that um, – he, here's what it says. Uh, would you believe me if I said that you don't need to wait for the answers before you step out in faith? This is one of the major uh, false teachings within evangelicalism today that somehow 
God wants you to just kind of risk it all, you know, step out in right. faith. And the reality is, is that this is not, this is not at all what biblical faith is. This is the thing that the devil tempted Jesus with. Matthew chapter four says this uh, regarding the temptation of Jesus in verse five, the devil took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. He's quoting one of the Psalms out of context, and he omitted a little bit of data. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so here's the problem, is that this this song is, I mean, it's got a false mission. It's got a false theology, doesn't rightly address the sin that's within our hearts and the desires that we have that are sinful. And it's teaching us then that these, whatever these, these dreams are inside of you, that's what God wants for you. And you just need to step out in faith in order to make it happen. Yet that by doing so, these people are putting God to the test in testing and tempting God because none of this is from him. This is not yeah. biblical faith. I don't know what this is. I know what it is, Chris. This comes from the world of motivational speakers and uh, leadership gurus. Ah, they're yes. always they're always telling people that you've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to uh, try this new thing. If you're going to have any success in life, you've got to take risks. And and you know what? In the business world, there's a lot of truth to that. And people who have had great success have also had a lot of failures. And they tried things over and over again until they figured out what really worked well. And so they're taking that idea. And they're bringing that into Christianity as if it was part of Christianity to begin with, and it's not. Right. And, and it gets mixed up with this uh, word of faith idea that God is waiting for us to do certain risky things that don't make sense so that he can prove himself to be true. And there has been a just a tremendous amount of difficulty and pain and heartbreak in the lives of Christians who have followed that because they they hear this crazy preaching, and it's always done with great emotion and these preachers always tell stories about what some other guy did somewhere and how it worked so well for him. And so people go off and they give money that they can't afford to give, or they try to do things that they're really not capable of doing, and God doesn't come through for them. Because God never promised to do those things to begin with. It's not God's fault. Right. It's that these people were convinced by this false teaching, and they went out uh, and they took risks, and they did things that seemed impossible, and they fell flat on their face— and it never made any sense to them. And when they went back to the church to try to figure it out, all they got was the same sermons over and over again. And, it, and, and the sermons turn into something like, well, I know you didn't get your dream yet. And I know you <laughs> yes. fell on your yeah. face. Yeah. But that's because God's really trying even harder to get you to really connect with him. Right. I he mean, wants you to trust him even more. Look at Joseph. It <laughs> took 13 years before his dream came true. You know, give it some time. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you imagine if you applied biblical principles and just some discernment and instead of taking that leap, you know, not testing anything, imagine if you were to pray, test the spirits and then do what the Bible says to do and count the cost. Then you wouldn't have to take these crazy risks that you think might be from the Lord, but you haven't even cracked open your Bible yet. So, right. um, yeah, yeah, these songs are, are really setting you up for some major manipulation, I think. Right. In fact, if if uh, if one of my parishioners were to come up to me and say, oh, Pastor Rosebro, I really want to sing this song in, in, in church next week. Just looking at the lyrics, I would say, 
Yeah, no, that we could never sing this song, and biblically, here's why, and have to walk them through. I mean, this is this is not Christian doctrine. This is not biblical faith, and this is creating a, a completely alternate Christianity that doesn't exist. You know, except right. in the minds of those who are buying into it. But this is not what Jesus's disciples believed, taught, confessed, or even penned in our in in the New Testament. So. Yeah. Let's take yeah. a look at the next one uh, from the inside out. This one's a little bit weird because it doesn't seem coherent. Let, let me read the lyrics. A thousand times I've failed. Still, your mercy remains. Um, it, it, can I just ask the obvious question? A thousand times I've failed. I'm assuming that would be sin. And yes, God <laughs> is merciful. But are we to just say, well, you know, God's merciful, you, you know, Hey, you know, I, I sin, he's merciful, so hey, that's all, that all works out. Um, it, it, there doesn't seem to be any talk of repentance or confessing or being forgiven. Well, you could you could say that that first line is a confession. It's not clear enough, so yeah. you know, who knows? Yeah, All these things can be interpreted multiple ways because they're so ambiguous. Yeah, and that's kind of the problem, isn't it? It uh, is. Okay, so a, a thousand times I failed, still your mercy remains, and should I stumble again, I'm caught in your grace— Okay. Mm-hmm. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory got be- goes beyond all fame. Your will above all else, my purpose remains. The art of losing myself in bringing you praise. And then I don't know if this is the bridge or not, but it says, In my heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Lord, let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Huh. I'm not quite sure what inside out means. That's a yeah. that's a very interesting concept. Um, but the thing that really jumps out at, at me in this one is my purpose remains, and then the art of losing myself in bringing you praise. Um, that That's interesting because that's what a lot of worship teams are instructed to do. We're instructed to uh, make sure that uh, the people that you're singing to uh, will um, come to this emotional state and lose themselves, lose their way of thinking, their right. discernment, whatever it is, in praise, in bringing him praise. And so, uh, you know, you see these, these hour-long messages, you know, with the... Uh, really uh, repeating over and over again, kind of this this mystical music where people are swaying, and and there is an art to losing yourself, and and you know people who do worship, and Steve, you can uh, probably chime in here, but but there's an art to that, and that's how you know that the Holy Spirit has been called down, and you're in His presence, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's certain chord progressions, there's certain intervals in between notes that evoke an emotional response. And any good musician, whether they're a Christian or not, knows about that, and they've figured that out. You can study the theory of music, and it's actually very logical, and it's a wonderful thing. I love music. I love studying music. I I play the guitar a lot still. And um, what happens, though, in the worship world, especially in a place like Hillsong, is all this stuff is turned into something it really isn't. It's turned into a... uh, a system by which we can cause God to behave a certain way. We actually are like uh, rubbing the lamp of the genie with this kind of thought. And we turn um, music into this tool by which the Holy Spirit, who's incapable of showing up on his own, is now going to show up because we've mustered him up somehow. 
it's it's really very shocking when you think about the the similarity between that and good old fashioned witchcraft. Yeah. Um, if you look at magic or witchcraft, and there are plenty of people in today's world who practice some form of it, and they had openly admitted there's there's new age paganism is on the rise like crazy. And they actually talk about ways that we can get the powers out there to do what we want them to do. Yeah. There's not a lot of difference. It's very shocking if you've heard this, if you've never heard this before, you're going to think I'm crazy. But I started to notice this when I was in the praise band. I was like, what are we doing? Are we, are we honestly believing that we're going to take the sovereign God who created the entire universe and we're going to call him down with our electric guitars and our drums? It, it, it it's silly, really. Um, but if you're seriously pursuing that, you're actually engaged in a form of magic. You've just Christianized it. Yeah. And, it and it starts with this bizarre assumption that God hasn't done enough. You know, Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Well, that was nice. That was, thank you. No, no biggie. That was a long time ago. We need you here now. And it's all fake. It's all been constructed out of thin air. The Bible doesn't tell us that we have to get together and muster up the Holy Spirit through this intense praise service. It just, it's not something that was ever taught by the, uh, by the scriptures itself. Right. The closest thing you have is in the Old Testament. You know, when the Israelites camped around the presence of God is what Bill Johnson likes to talk about. He skips the entire New Testament. He skips the entire death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, we need to camp around the presence of God today. Yeah, and by the way, yeah. Bethel Church is the is the number two distributor of bad doctrine, next to Hillsong. Yeah, uh, when it comes to this stuff, you know, I, I sorry, look, I wanna... no, that's okay. I, I like the rant. Yeah, I I look at the you know the, the the statement, the art of losing myself in bringing you praise, and I think of my interview a, year, a few years back with Christine Pack of the Solace Sisters. She spent yeah. time doing you know Eastern meditation. And, you know, she was taught in, you know, in doing this Eastern style of meditation to to quiet and silence the monkey mind and all that kind of stuff and and just kind of, you know, stretch out Jedi style with your feelings and things. And, and I, 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 I must admit that every time I watch, you know, how praise and worship works in these big box churches with the praise bands, it's and especially has how long. It's like you know, it's like it's like a non-ending, you know, um, what is it? You know, forty-five, fifty, sixty minutes of just continual monotonous in the dark with the lights and the laser light show and these <laughs> types of repetitive lyrics. And I and I just gotta sit there and think. The art of losing myself sounds like really what the praise band is really up to is uh, is using the music to basically bludgeon someone's mind into complete submission to where the right. only thing they have left is this emotive thing. And you know, from the point of view of the experiencer, it just feels like, Oh, I'm losing myself, but there's nothing spiritual about it. It's, it's really, if you think about it, it's just about the right use of chords and music and light and, and, and yeah, mood and a, everything like that to kind of it, you know, put your brain into a, complete box yeah and you're you're using a form of hypnosis and hypnosis works when people are doing the thing that they want to do they can be manipulated to only go the direction that their mind is already willing to go so in other words hypnosis is not about putting somebody in a trance and causing them to do something opposite of what they want to do so if you're wanting to feel god's presence in a worship service and you've been told you need to feel god's presence 
and you think that's really important, and you go with the expectation of feeling God's presence, and the worship team is playing all the right music, using all the right chords and the right melodies and the right harmonies, hey, guess what? You're going to feel God's presence. Is it really God? Yeah. yeah. I have to say, no, I'm sorry, but I don't think it is. I really don't. Because if it is God, you now have to, <laughs> you have to, um, you have to admit to some really difficult things. And one right. of them is the Holy Spirit used to be uh, unable to make an arrival at a church service until the invention of the electric guitar and the drums and the electric bass and, uh, frankly, electricity. What yeah. did the Holy Spirit do before we had electricity? Because without electricity, we can't have these kinds of services. We can't mm-hmm. have uh, the fog machines and the spotlights and the colored lights, and we can't yeah. have amplifiers and sound systems and microphones. So if you really think you're bringing God by doing all those things, then you're you're actually kind of setting up this uh, this whole series of ideas that falls apart very quickly if you just take everything to its logical conclusion. Right, and I would but, I, I, you I, know go ahead, Amy. Oh, I was just going to uh, chime in and say I was that person uh, for many years. I was that person who went uh, into church, you know, uh, found my seat and waited for the music to start so that I could feel something. And uh, I didn't want to, you know, cry because I, you know, I, I didn't want anybody to see me. But I, I, I at least wanted to have some kind of emotional thing that was near tears uh, that only the music could do for me. Um, you know, I wanted to get brought into that state. And I truly thought mistakenly and falsely I truly thought that this was God uh, in me welling up and preparing my heart for worship. Uh, and I didn't know any better. I didn't realize that uh, this, you know, you, again, you take away all the special effects and there's not going to be that emotion there. That So right. uh, so yeah. what is that if that isn't God? That's me. You know, that's mm-hmm. my emotions. And I've just been played, you know, and I, I say that it sounds so harsh. But it's true, and I, I, you know, having been on um, the planning team, I can kind of see where the logic of that comes from. Right. Yep. And in fact, I would even note this. Um, you know, again, showing my age, um, I went and saw you two in concert in 1987 when they were on tour uh, for the Joshua Tree. And I saw that tour too. I saw it here in Chicago. I saw I saw it at the uh, Los Angeles Coliseum, and it was a spectacular wonderful, I mean, still epic uh, concert that I went to. And I got to tell you, the motions that I felt at the U2 concert are identical to the stuff I Mm -hmm. felt in, you know, big box praise band type churchy thingies. Well, U2 is actually, it's not a worship band, but the style of music that they became known for is uh, I would say the number one most influential thing in the in the worship music of today. It it, it still is influential because they uh, that style of music uh, was greatly influential in the the band Delirious from the UK. And uh, Delirious was a super talented band, a worship band who really brought this idea of a worship experience to a real pinnacle over the last couple of decades. And you know historically. It would be wise for anybody at any time to say, okay, if what's happening right now is truly biblical and it's actually based on what God is doing, does it does it make sense that this is the only time God's ever done this? Yeah. In, in other words, has God really been silent for 2,000 years until, you know, you two came along to present a style of music that could be handed over to a band like Delirious, which would insert more Christian lyrics so that we could now worship God for the first time truly? In this way, yeah. or does it make more sense to say, you know, people are just mustering up stuff 
People are, uh, they, churches want to have a nice size crowd. And if you want to have a really big crowd at your church, well, it, people love music. So let's have music that they really like. Right. And, I mean, and this, is, this created, is so simple. This has created the whole theology of the belief that the presence of God has shown up because I'm experiencing ghost bumps. You know, yeah, and yeah. Shivers. Ghost bumps yes. ghost bumps. Yeah, ghost bumps. Yeah, that's how you know God's really there. Cause, oh, wow, I got ghost bumps. So, yeah. All right, the next song, it's titled The Stand. And, you know, I got to tell you, I've never sung this song. And looking at the lyrics, um, I'm not sure what its function would be. But if I were planning a praise and worship set, you know, um, I know that people standing up and swaying and doing that stuff is important. So I'm assuming that this song could somehow be used to help get people to spontaneously stand up without telling them that they need to stand up. It, it, it's the best yeah. way I could put it. Um, That's exactly what it's used for, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because everybody knows that the Holy Spirit can, can't actually work if there's actually any planned structure in a church service, so we have to create the impression that it's all spontaneous. Yeah. So, right. Right. We have to plan to make it look like we haven't planned. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. And, and this one's going to be hard, Chris, as you read the lyrics, because uh, this is a very familiar song to me, and many people listening probably have sung this and will continue to sing this song. Um, and, and it's one of those that everybody thinks is biblical. Okay, all right, so here are the lyrics. You stood before creation, eternity within your hands. You spoke all life into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. That doesn't make any sense. So what can I say and what could I do but offer this heart, O God, completely to you? Oh man, that's like totally backwards. It isn't it mm-hmm. that Christ offered Himself completely for us. Anyway, yeah. I we, I digress. We continue. So I'll walk upon salvation, Your Spirit alive in me. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I'll uh, walk yeah. upon salvation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This life to declare Your promise. Which promise am I declaring? My soul now to stand. So what can I say and what can I do but offer this heart, oh, completely to you? Oh, yeah, you're not going to do that. Um, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, all, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. <clears throat> all I am is yours. Man, see, this is that false surrender theology that you know basically makes the person singing these lyrics a complete liar. Yeah. yeah. It's a... Uh, it's, uh really difficult thing to get out of because if you're convinced that you need to surrender and you never actually do surrender completely, you either are, uh, you know, in despair and you just give up Yeah, and it's very, it becomes very hopeless or you become sort of delusional and you think that you are surrendering enough. And what you really need is someone to tell you, Hey, it's okay. You can't surrender completely. That's why Jesus died on the cross. All the things that you can't do, that's your sin nature. You're you're a sinner, and you require a Savior. Right. And so now you can just rest in the assurance that even though you're a Savior, your sins have been forgiven because Jesus died in your place. He yep. paid the penalty for your sin. That simple message is not really in these songs. No. It, if you already believe that way, and if you were taught that way, you can kind of fool yourself into thinking that that's what these are about. And you can almost imagine that that's what these songs are about. But they're just so ambiguous 
that it, it, it's impossible to say what they're actually about. Right. Even when it says, you, you stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. I mean, that sounds kind of Christian-y. It's actually using the word sin, which is not very common anymore, and carried the, carried the cross for my shame. That, that sounds good, but it's still not clear. What's, what, is, what is it talking about? Is it talking about right now I have shame because of the sin I just committed and uh, I, I need to not feel, or, or maybe I have another common thread in a lot of contemporary evangelicalism is that your problem is not that you have shame. Your problem is, is that you think you have shame. Yeah, but, it, but see, here's the thing: we we all fall short of the glory of God. You know, it, John says in his first epistle, "If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness." So there's a cycle of repentance, confessing. Trusting yeah. in the mercy of God, and that doesn't seem to be the solution that's offered here. Yeah, I mean, it mentioned something yeah. about Jesus carrying our shame, but ultimately the solution is my surrender, and here's where the problem lies. Back when I was a Nazarene, when I was in high school, um, you know, this was a very legalistic church that I attended, and they taught that you can lose your salvation. And the central passage that was, you know, harped on and you know, was the drum they would beat on Sunday after Sunday was be ye perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And yeah. so because, you know, it's very legalistic and they believe you can lose your salvation. Here's how this played out in my psyche. It's like, okay, well, I, I go up for the altar call because, you know, I'm not perfect. And so I go up and I say, this time I really mean it, God. And then I go and live in the real world. Okay. As a 16 year old with hormones. Okay. And I come back to church believing that I've lost my salvation, and so they beat me over the uh, the head again with the law and tell me that I need to surrender all to Jesus. And so they're playing "I surrender all," you know, and you know, all in the background, you know, you know, and all this stuff is going on. And so I go and I pray, okay, Lord, this time I I, I really really mean it as I get born again, 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 again. And see, this last time I didn't really mean it as much as I mean it this time, Lord. I, th- in fact, I'm going, you know, and, and so the way they describe it is, is that, you know, your life, your heart is like a, is a house and there's like different bedrooms and closets and things like that. And so have you surrendered this bedroom of your life and opened the door to this closet and surrendered this to Jesus? And, <laughs> and so I've, I'm surrendering this all and giving this, uh, this time I really mean it, Lord. And then I, you know, after church we go to Baker Square for you know for lunch, and across the the restaurant there's a gal kind of dressed in provocative clothing, and and then whoosh, I just lost my salvation again, right? <laughs> and it, and so the thing is, is that this this idea that recognizing I have shame, but the solution being my surrender, that is not going to work because you know, and I know, you never have fully surrendered your sin to God because you still sin daily and sin much, which is going to create literally the foundation for utter despair or yeah. create the facade for self-righteousness where you got to apply a lot of paint. No, nope, I'm fully surrendered. I'm pulling it off. <laughs> Look at me. I found the five easy steps to be the living, the victoriously surrendered life to Jesus, you know? Yeah. You know, there's something else about the stand that um, maybe I just want to uh, share a little bit about. This is always the song that um, the worship team will pick and uh, the planning committee will put right before 
the pastor comes out. This is that song that's kind of the rallying cry. And it starts out really slow. You stood before creation. And you imagine that those lyrics being sung so slowly. And uh, it just uh, kind of a, an ethereal, you know, a lot, a lot of musical things going on in the background, but very peaceful. Um, and by the time you get to the main, um, so I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned, you're going to repeat that over, 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 over and over again. And as you do, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger, like a swell. Um, and the drums start really kicking in and the, you know, the, the bass starts kicking in and, and the music gets stronger and stronger and the people get louder and louder and the harmonies come out and it's beautiful and you're standing and you notice and, and try not to see this, but sometimes the, there are churches and I've seen this personally myself where you plant people in the crowd to stand right on cue, like two or three people, and pretty soon you've got uh, kind of that manipulative popcorn effect of, well, everybody feels obligated to stand right at that point, and when they say arms high, there go the arms up in the air. And and before you know it, everybody's standing on purpose. You know what? Everybody's standing on purpose. And if you don't have that emotional thing going on, maybe you're new to the church or something, and you're just sitting there, there is something wrong with you. You must not have the Holy Spirit. But uh, you know, I, I can tell you, uh, I, you know, forgive me if I rant here, but uh, coming from that big box church experience, you know, and I, I had said that um, I was part of the Sunday morning uh, planning committee. So uh, I had that experience for about two years. I sat in what we call the service planning meetings, and I was part of this team that helped create this experience, that hour and a half window where people would come into the sanctuary, which was uh, in our church renamed the worship center uh, at the suggestion of the purpose-driven gurus who wrote the consulting books that we paid attention to at that time, but I digress. So anyway, so we're in the uh, now the worship center. Um, every Monday afternoon, our team of artists and, you know, pastors and, and contributing people, I was the communicator, so, uh, you know, I'd be there too for announcements, I guess, and um, we'd gather for this planning meeting and we'd start with evaluating how Sunday went the day before. Did we accomplish our goals? Did we, uh, you know, how many people raised their hands? How many people came forward? And, and then here's one. Did every performer and volunteer execute their roles properly? You know, how did we perform? And then we'd begin to plan the next one. And the main focus really was always on the theme, whatever, you know, there's always a theme to these things. Uh, in the message series, and how can we support it with the arts by creating an artistic experience to draw people into whatever takeaway we had for that week. And, you know, when I say takeaway, at our church, there was often something people physically took away. So this would be planned as well, like um, a scrap of paper that held your greatest fear or uh, an ancient-looking nail, you know, for Jesus's nails, or maybe a stone with my name written on it. You so know, it was one like of the little... It's like yeah. the little toy you get at, uh, with your happy meal. You put you in the back of the car. You don't <laughs> have to do it. They're called tchotchkes. They're tchotchkes. <laughs> there you go. So I had these little tchotchkes, but we'd plan those all out, and there'd be artwork and all this stuff, and there'd be performances. Uh, all the performances had to line up with the theme, but one of the recurring questions we always had to uh, ask ourselves from a leadership perspective was, how can we get them to – you know, whatever it is we want them to do that week. How can we get them to feel? How can we get them to give? How can we get them to step out in faith? Whatever it was. And um, I, I just remember one of my dear friends who, you know, when I was new to that group, uh, and she'd been doing these service planning meetings for years and years, and, and she just told me kind of wistfully, you know, I used to love worshiping on Sunday mornings here, but these meetings sort of take the magic out of coming to church for me. And so she didn't, you know, 
and that was so telling for me. That was such a strong statement of now that you've kind of looked behind the curtain of, yep. you know, the Wizard of Oz, now you know how it works. It's not fun anymore. It's not magic. Right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. let, let me let me kind of piggyback on that story. Years ago when I was in college, um, in order to uh, make money during the summer months, I worked at Disneyland in California on the Jungle Cruise. Ah. And as part of our orientation into the Disney way, you know, you, you they would they took us on kind of a behind the scenes cooks tour of the Disneyland theme park, and they explicitly explained the whole methodology for it. The reason why this is the Magic Kingdom is because this portion of the park is called you're on stage, you are in costume. Uh-huh. And they took us on a tour of of uh, Main Street there in uh, at Disneyland, and they showed us where the vents were, where they pipe out smells. You know, literally particular aromas to evoke memories and things like that. And so hmm. everything is carefully choreographed in the Magic Kingdom, from the sounds wow. to the sights to even what you smell to create this immersive experience. But the whole thing is designed by people in order to create that experience. Wow. Uh, Disney's not a cult. Mickey Mouse told me so. <laughs> don't get too goofy. Steve, you can't go there. You're going to you're going to get me getting a lot of emails from people then talking about Disney princesses and things like that. That's Yeah. That, that's not the point of this program, but the, the uh-huh. idea here is Amy what you're saying is is that really if you stop and think about what's going on here, all of this right. is designed on purpose to evoke particular emotions. The experience is really not the Holy Spirit. The The experience really is something very well-planned, calculated, and choreographed, and then reviewed for effect, effectiveness, and yep. then... You know, and then executed again, much the same way Disney, you know, plans and executes their whole experiences. Yeah, right. And don't think for a minute that these uh, things, these these values, aren't measured against real Sunday morning metrics every Monday when we gathered. You know that you had to. There had to be numbers attached to see how successful you were. Well, plus um, when you're on stage, and I went to a big church. Uh, we had like uh, 800 to 1,000 people, and we had a real stage, you know, where you could see over the crowd, and you could tell which songs were having an effect. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's kind of a rush. I, I can't even imagine being in a really popular band where you have a, you know, an audience of 10,000 people who love your music. That's That's got to be almost like taking drugs, seriously. Yeah. yeah. And, but But even just being in a good worship team band and seeing the crowd react to what you're playing – is um, it's very uh, addictive, and I think we, um, you, you as a as a member of a church, should be skeptical of that yeah. in a very uh, honest, natural sort of a way, not in a you know scary, creepy sort of way. But you should you should be willing to say, you know, that guy up there with the guitar. I'm sorry, but he just really likes being up there. Just look at him. Mm-hmm. And and if he was honest, he should be he should be willing to say, yeah, you're right. I do like the attention because that was me. I never would have said it at the time. Yeah, but yeah, it. You know what? It, this that, reminds me of uh, if you've seen the movie The Matrix. I mean, I think of the prophet and prophetess Morpheus and Trinity, and and their statement that the the Matrix has you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
That, I think it's that's kind of that hard thing. to leave. It's hard to leave and go to a place where uh, there isn't the special effects and there isn't the top forty music and and you know to do something that's that's truly. Uh, you know, <laughs> truly worshipful uh, as corporate worship. It, it feels strange to make that transi- transition. Yep. You know, it's funny. Um, we went in a period of only about um, maybe four months or so. We went from a large, very praise band oriented charismatic church to a small liturgical Lutheran church that, that did the service uh, right out of the lectionary. Mm-hmm. You know, with a, with an organ and no other instruments. And I think it was the second week my wife said, wow, they really, um, they really take this, the holiness of God seriously. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like they're actually worshiping God. And she, she, the, the words came out of her mouth and then she realized how crazy it was to even say that because every church we'd gone to for a million years was supposedly worshiping God. Yeah, and they were they were totally focused on this worship experience with all the big guns, you know, the lights and the and the subwoofers and you know the the latest worship songs from places like Hillsong. Yeah. But here we went to a traditional church, and she was struck by the sense of awe towards God, and and it was it was in that old liturgical environment that we both felt much more closely tuned into actually worshiping God in a, in a more serious way. Right. So I don't know. And it's not, and it's not because we're old. We have friends who are much, much younger than us. Our kids. Age. In fact, one of my kids goes to a church like that in Nashville and he loves it. Yeah. He loves the fact that there aren't drums. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and, and I'll say this is that what I find is, is that it, the lyrics were le- that we're reading in these Hillsong praise songs are so ambiguous and so, tough to nail down and but they it it sounds like what's really driving the you know what you know whatever emotions are being evoked has nothing to do with what the song is saying it has everything to do with the music the music and whereas a good hymn with good solid theology will evoke emotion but it's the it's the content that's driving that not not necessarily the uh, the music itself. I, I think of one of my favorite hymns. It's it's uh, the name of it is Thy Strong Word, and there's a lyric that every time I sing it, I mean, it chokes me up. And here here's the lyric. It says, "Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. And now glorious, now we press towards glory in our lives. Our hopes confess." And I mean, you know, in in understanding the theology and the doctrine behind that, and that is a clear unmistakable statement of the fact that we are declared righteous by grace through faith and clothed in the righteousness of Christ when you think about you know that that grace of God you can't help but have an emotional reaction to it but it's driven by the content whereas yeah. this other way of going it's like the content is like jello there's like nothing to yeah. it and and yet there's a, there's supposed to be an emotional response but it's not based upon what you're singing, it's it's based upon the manipulation of how the song flows and moves. 
Right. right. I would just add to that, um, you know, there, there's really nothing wrong with the types of instruments being used. Like, uh, you know, the church that we go to is a smaller church now, and um, it, the the music, the lyrics are pure scripture. I mean, you, you don't see many lyrics that aren't scriptural. So, uh, it, it, you know, they come from scripture, and, and I don't mind having, you know, different instruments playing those things. But again, um, these songs are not chosen for emotional impact. They're chosen for the words of scripture preparing us for what we're about to hear in the sermon. Right. Uh, in a few songs, and they don't go on and on and on. It, so, uh, so that that would be the difference uh, uh, differentiation yeah. that I would make. All right. Well, yeah, let's... good point. Because I, I agree. I, I don't. Um, I don't think that every church has to just have an organ. I'm just saying that's no. the church that we go to. It's very small. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we have a yeah. piano at ours. We don't even have an organ that's working functionally. So. <laughs> All right, we're going to pause there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, the balance of this um, conversation, taking a hard look at the theology and the lyrics of Hill songs, praise songs. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Rex here. I know that you've all been hearing about Stephen Furtick's latest book, Greater. Well, I took the time to check it out, and I have to say that I was greatly underwhelmed. For example, in this book he talks about Elisha burning his plows in order to follow Elijah. For some reason, Furtick then asked us to do the same. Uh-huh, right. Furtick only gave you half the story. Where in your book does it tell everyone to sacrifice their oxen and cook their carcasses over your burning plows, Furtick? Nowhere. That's why I'm taking it one step further with my new book, Greater Than or Equal To. You think Furtick's book was bad? Well, my book will do it better, better. I'm not a wimp like Furtick. I do it all. That's right. Not only did I burn my plows like Elisha, but I took my oxen, and I sacrificed them with my bare hands. I moved on from that, and I'm now living it up like John the Baptist. I wear a camel's hair jacket with my Bible pants and eat locusts with wild honey. I added some chipotle sauce for flavor. I, I guess it worked. Anyway, got another question for you, Furtick. Ever heard of Hosea? Well, you conveniently skipped the whole part about marrying a prostitute. Well, I did it. On top of that, I'm cooking the locusts tonight for my new wife. Just like Ezekiel. 
I'm cooking my food over poop. It's so awesome. So watch out, Furtick. Greater than or equal to is way better than your book, you pansy. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the lyrics of praise songs are not neutral. They are capable of conveying heresy and Bible twisting and false doctrine. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. Visit our website, FightingForTheFaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you pick. That's right. There are four ranks in our crew, and you get to choose your rank based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95. 
95 a month. This is a great way to support us. It helps give us a firm financial foundation from which we can budget and plan our next exploits and things like that. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, the way you do that is by clicking either on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of my interview with Amy Spreeman and Stephen Kozar as we discuss and analyze the lyrics of many of Hillsong's popular praise songs. Here we go. All right, let's move on and take a look at more of these lyrics. Okay, this one yep. sounds like health and wealth heresy to me, and I can't help but be reminded of uh, Brian Houston's book, You Need More Money, which I have a copy <laughs> of. I mean, I know he's out there trying to you know, get rid of them. I've got a whole yep. copy of this book, and yeah, he really does teach the health and wealth heresy in it. But this is the name of the song is One Day, and here are the lyrics. More than I could hope or dream of, you have poured your favor on me. One day in the house of God is better than a thousand days in the world. So blessed I can't contain it. So much I've got to give it away. Your love taught me to live now. You are more than enough for me. I mean, you know, you know I wonder, is this the song they sing right before they pass the bucket? I mean... <laughs> the bucket... <laughs> Yeah. It's pretty maybe, ambiguous, you know. You know, one one of the phrases it almost sounds like "better is one day in in your courts than thousands elsewhere," but that's not what it's saying either. No. Um, so, so blessed I can't contain it so much I've got to give it away. Um, again, what does that even mean, and what are they preparing us for? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's too ambiguous. Keep going. Read the rest. All right. Okay. So this is actually from the song "Blessed." It's, it's kind of same themes. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on God. We will go from strength to strength until we see you face to face. Hear our prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Come bless our land as we seek you, worship you. Boy, there's a troubling lyric there. We will go from strength to strength until we see your face and see if we see you face to face. That's triumphalism. And that is not the theology of the cross taught in Scripture. Uh, Christ says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And uh, the Apostle Paul did not, in his experience, go from strength to strength. In fact, <laughs> um, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in his rebuttal of the so-called super-apostles, describes his life, and it doesn't sound like strength to strength until he saw Jesus face to face. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 21. Uh, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and he says, I want to remind you, I'm speaking as a fool, I dare also to boast of that. Are they, the super apostles, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he says, I'm a better one. And he says, I would like to remind you, I'm talking right now like a madman. Um, he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Um, you see, what Paul's describing there is the theology of the cross, denying yourself, taking yep. up your cross and following Jesus, and participating in his sufferings here on earth. Whereas these folks, we will go from strength to strength until we see you face to face. That is bald-faced satanic triumphalism which will literally cause someone either to despair or to become really self-righteous in what they believe. Uh, oh, is I've, I've got God's favor. Oh, man, look, my, my, my bank account is increasing by the day. I'm healthier than I was when I was 20. Yeah, that's all a joke because you're a lot closer to death than you were before. And, and the Apostle Paul says if we are to trust in Christ for this life, only then we are above all people to be most pitied. You know, the thing we're looking for is the redemption of our souls and our salvation and eternal life. We're just sojourners here, and we are called to experience persecutions, sufferings, beatings, even death if if necessary, and not triumph after triumph and victory after victory. Yeah, if these people had to go from beatings to beatings, (laughs) you know, from, from shipwreck to shipwreck and, you know, that kind of thing, uh, what would happen to their faith if this is all they've been taught? That that really worries me. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to say about this song either. It's just it's a bunch of mush. Yeah, well, it's a bunch of it's just a bunch of words, <laughs> right? And it, they're false words at that that yep. teach a false expectation and false promises that literally set Christianity up for failure in the sight of these people. You know. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. The, the next one is uh, another oh, here we go. real train wreck. The, the name of the song <laughs> is Yes and Amen. And if this isn't the word of faith heresy, you know, our words create reality stuff, then I don't know what is. Here's, here are the words. God says, yes, and I know that I'm blessed. Yes, got a heart that's at rest. Yes, and a future that's sealed. Yes, if I'm healed, then I'm healed. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like the... Uh, <laughs> You know, they, they, they believe yeah. that the uh, that healing is promised in the atonement. No, it's not. Yep. Uh, and they continue, I'm not afraid of circumstances because I have already found the answers. In Christ, all of the promises are yes, yes, and amen. Now's the time to let faith win. God has placed his promises in the center of his will. Seek his kingdom and his ways. All the power of heaven is yours to call today. That's straight up word of faith heresy. All promise, God's promises, yes and amen. Celebrate God's promises, yes and amen. So this is teaching us through lyrics to basically um, use our words to create positive outcomes in our lives. It's yes and amen, you know. Yeah, I noticed this line uh, in the, uh, the second stanza, now is the time to let faith win. God has placed his promises in the center of his will. Seek his kingdom and his ways. All the power of heaven is yours to call today. So when it says the center of his will, that's a teaching I haven't heard for a long time, but it's this idea that you've got to seek God and find not just his will, but you've got to find the center, like it's a target. And he wants to bless you. He wants to give you all these promises, 
But if you don't hit the thing dead center, you're going to miss out. And that's where this is coming from. Uh, I've, I've heard this theology before. And so all the power of heaven is yours to call today. And of course, when you don't have all the power of heaven, they'll say, well, you're not in the center of God's will. It's your fault. Yeah. We told you, you know, seek God and, you know, find the dead center of his will. But you're still having sin issues. So sorry, but, you know, what? it's your fault. You can't expect to have all the power, maybe a little bit, yeah. but until you figure it out. And there's always this mystical crumb of bread, trail of breadcrumbs. Yeah. You've got to find all these little signs and you've got to have all these little mystical things have to all line up so that you can discover God's will so that he can bless you. It's really a painful way to live. You're either Let me in the ask you of- this, Steve, because I haven't heard the center part of the will yet. I guess I haven't. <laughs> guess I probably won't now. But um, w- when they say all the power of heaven is yours to call today, so that that seems to be a common theme of you know NAR, word of faith, that kind of thing. Yeah. Tap into his power to do what with it? What what is the teaching? What what are they See, expecting where, to do with the that's power? That's where the ambiguity of the lyrics is very useful because. If anybody wants to say, well, that doesn't mean this, the person could say, well, yeah, you're right. I didn't mean it that way. And then somebody else could say, well, I think it means this. And I saw that it worked in my life. And the person could say, well, yeah, that's what I meant it to mean. So what is the power of heaven to call today? I'm guessing that when they wrote this, it just sounded good and it sounds positive and it's encouraging. And uh, there are people, and maybe this person who wrote this, it sounds like it maybe would have said, you know, you can have whatever healing you want. You can have your financial problem solved. Yeah. Any, any of those things that come from that word of faith uh, background. And th- the other thing I was going to point out about this, and I, I don't remember how this song goes, but th- the way it's kind of got this triumphant marching, all God's promises, yes and amen. Celebrate God's promises, yes and amen. Um, I've been to a few services that are really hyper-charismatic churches, and they really see the worship time as a mixture of uh, saying things that will then come to pass because you spoke them into existence and combining that with this repetitive music where you're almost, well, they would say that we are doing battle with the the demonic realm. Oh, so So spiritual warfare is what they're doing. It's a form of spiritual warfare, absolutely. And they have to sing and say these things over and over and over again. And they don't have any problem for uh, doing one song for, for half an hour. Oh, you know, there's a there's a, there's a church up here uh, in in Wisconsin, uh, northern Wisconsin, that does this uh, same thing that they enter into spiritual warfare, and and these songs go way longer than an hour, and the worship sets can go for hours before oh, right. one of these conferences. Chris, you would love this because they frequently invite up uh, Patricia King, Joshua Mills, and all those guys to do uh. the prophecy things, but they preface it with these worship songs that do that, and you you know, uh, and they are some of them Hillsong songs, but you know, they're they're swaying and they they just lose themselves and they believe that this is casting out demons that that's what they're doing with these swaying songs wow wow yeah so you know stevie kind of brought up an interesting point is that a lot of this is so theologically ambiguous that the theology that uh that you find in these is the theology that you bring to them it's postmodernism. yeah um I, I was listening to uh, Brian Wolfmuller on his uh, Table Talk radio show. He does some praise song crunchers, and I listened to him talking about some of the same songs that we're talking about. And uh, he pointed out that a lot of the modern songs don't even use complete sentences. They just use a phrase, which is like a half thought. Uh-huh. And he said that – and I and I, I 
didn't make this connection, but it makes total sense to me that since we live in such a postmodern culture, it would make sense that these Christian songs kind of uh, adapt to that postmodernism by saying things that are almost like stream of consciousness phrases. And you can say whatever you want them to. You can you can make them say whatever you want them to say. And like you were saying earlier, Chris, the point is that you experience something of God in some emotional way in this in the worship time itself. All right. Which is being fostered by the by the driving um, hypnotic music. Okay. All right. So let's take a look at some more of these songs. And so we've seen, you know, kind of dream destiny thingy. We've seen straight up word of faith heresy stuff. Uh, you know, and uh, in the prosperity gospel, it's not a gospel. Uh, the next, you know, kind of group of songs deal with kind of the NAR theme of of you know our unity bringing revival on the earth, if you would. Um, he, so one of the songs that we'll look at is called "The Great Southland," and here's how the song goes: This is the great Southland of the Holy Spirit, a land of red dust plains and summer rains. To this sunburnt land we will see a flood, and to this great Southland his spirit comes. This is our nation, this is our land, this is this land of plenty, this land of hope. The richest harvest is in her peoples, we see revival, his spirit comes. Ha! Huh. Can you make heads or tails <laughs> of that? I don't even know what to make well, of that. Uh, it's very poetic. <laughs> Is it biblical Christianity? So we need to kind of look and see where is this coming from? I've, I've yeah, never a, heard of the great Southland uh, idea. Have have either of you? Apparently, uh, Rick Joyner made mention to that, that Australia is the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, everybody wants, you know, Rick Joyner's a real prophet, you know. So we, <laughs> right. we got to you know find a way to immortalize his, and put it into the canon, yeah. his prophetic words. Don't even get me started on Rick Joyner. Hmm. Um, I was going to say though this uh, this idea of a flood and a revival yeah. is very common, and it's uh, it's this revivalism that is so common that everybody thinks it must be true that there is a coming revival, an end time revival where a ton of new people are going to come into the faith. And the only end time revival in Scripture is actually a falling away. Yeah, it's a false revival. It's where uh, the elect would would be deceived, if possible. Uh, if possible, yeah. even the elect would be deceived. Yeah, it it really blew me away when I started really looking into what's going on in the church today and what does the Bible say. And all that I could find was about a great false sort of revival and a falling away where people would be deceived. That's all I found. I, there's nothing in the in the scripture about a great end times revival. So all these well, people talking about this coming flood and this coming wave. Yikes. Sometimes, though, really Steve, they about? actually use a, a verse from Isaiah uh, and I, I've seen this happen in other churches where they use this to, to talk about floods and streams and that kind of thing. And it's from Isaiah forty three nineteen that says, Do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the fast. Behold, I will do something new. Now it yeah. will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. And so they're talking about, you know, this land being quenched as a, and doing something new. As a way to kind of springboard into you know twisting scripture to say, well, God surely is doing a new thing now. See, He's bringing waters of revival to us, which no. isn't really what that verse is talking about. But no, um, and, <laughs> and that that by the way, that text is fulfilled in the new covenant. The new thing that God is doing is found in Christ and the forgiveness yeah. of our sins and His death, resurrection, right. and incarnation. Yes, you know, oh boy, 
Okay. Next. So it sounds like it sounds like we're being negative, and I no nobody's really against genuine revival, you know. Uh, that's yeah. that's kind of a moot point. Yeah. There's always this false dichotomy that people will say, "Oh, so you're not in favor of the Holy Spirit, huh?" I guess you're not in favor of revival, huh? And and it's like no, what we're in favor of is the real Holy Spirit, right. and and a genuine revival would come from God. It wouldn't come from us mustering it up and propping it up and uh, creating it with with the marketing tools that are the same things used to promote a rock concert. Right. That wouldn't be a real revival. That's not God. That's us doing it. Yeah, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Uh, the Book of Romans says. And if we're going to have real biblical revival, that would require Christians to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, call sinners to repent and to be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ and through faith in him. Uh, But that's not what they're talking about. In fact, the next one kind of fleshes out even more some of their NAR revivalistic themes, which really aren't – it isn't revival. The name of it is Touching Heaven, Changing Earth. Here are the lyrics. Uh, We will seek your face, almighty God. Yeah, you know, I always love it when you when you talk about what you're going to do for God in the future tense. I don't know when I'm going to get around to it, but I'll eventually seek your face. But <laughs> my apologies. Here's what it says. Turn and pray for you to heal our land. Father, let revival start in us. Then every heart will know your kingdom come. Lifting up the name of the Lord in power and in unity, touching heaven, changing earth. Lifting up the name of the Lord in power and in unity, we will see the nations turn Touching heaven, changing earth, touching heaven, changing earth. Never look back. We'll run the race, giving you our lives. We'll gain the prize. We will take the harvest given to us. Though we sow in tears, we'll reap in joy. Oh, send revival, send revival. Oh, Lord, we need revival. And (laughs) I would agree they do need revival there at Hillsong, but it's not what they think it is. Um, And this is kind of the problem is is that what I'm seeing theologically in these lyrics is is the NAR concept of revival, that somehow revival is based upon visible unity, miraculous signs and wonders, and and this then points then rather than to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, it points to something like Brownsville or or yeah. you know the the Toronto blessing Pensacola. Uh, or Pensacola or um or you know the the Todd Bentley thing you know you know what I'm talking yeah. about. And, yeah. you know, where oh, the revival is somehow where the, the Holy Spirit is falling in some tangible manifestations. And it's, you know, and that we, we as Christians are be like surfers out, you know, waiting on our surfboards while waiting for the next set <laughs> of swells of the Holy Spirit to come flooding in so we can surf them in. That's not revival. And and that's what I'm hearing in this song. Am I am I am I reading it wrong? No, I don't think so. In fact, um, this song reminds me very much of the the um, conferences and, and rock shows that we saw uh, in our nation. You know, this this past summer and even into early fall, uh, we had several unity gatherings. You know, Washington Mall. We had uh, the Asusa Now, uh, the Call, that yeah. kind of thing. 
and where we dropped our doctrinal distinctives, you know, dropped all uh, doctrines anyway, and gathered with other religions to be change agents, really, in unity. And so, um, you know, we, we hope that if we uh, can touch heaven together, that we can change the earth and bring his kingdom here now. And that's exactly what uh, this song really is telling us, touching heaven, changing earth. So that's us doing it again. Mm-hmm. We lift up the name of the Lord and we're changing earth. Um, yeah, we will see the nations turn. It's, yeah, it declares, what is that about? We will see the nations turn. You know when this song was written? This was from 1998. Mm. How's that turning the nations thing working? Well, I don't think that's what the Bible says about what's going to happen to the nations. <laughs> yeah, no. I, you know, I, I'm I'm more worried about that unity that's talked about in the book of Revelation where all of the world worships the image of the beast. Um, yeah, that that's real unity right there. And you know, talking about Azusa now, I mean, you know, back in, in April when they had the Azusa Now event at the Coliseum, yeah. I mean, they had Roman Catholics on stage and, and I oh, mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it was absolutely fascinating to see their visible unity and you sitting there going, and, and here's kind of their argument. It's like, well, the, the Roman Catholics are having a charismatic renewal just like we are. They've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit just like we are. Therefore, look at you. That's telling us that the Holy Spirit wants us to unite with everybody regardless of what they believe, teach, and confess and regardless of their doctrine. And see, this is what's going to bring revival when the world see us, sees us all come together as one despite all of our different faith traditions. Well, wow. and, and this was set up for us a few years before that even when the Pope himself uh, gathered with uh, Copeland, Kenneth Copeland, and said, you know, uh, Catholics and Charismatics must spiritually unite. Yep. That it, It's all over. You know, the uh, the Reformation, don't even worry about that. We, we don't protest mm-hmm. anymore. And they, they did this thing. Uh, we'll share that link. Uh, we, Steve, you and I need to share a bunch of links today uh, on Chris's podcast so that people can find these things. But sure. uh, we're, we've all been set up for this uh, in the music in the conferences yeah it all ties together it does it all ties together that's the thing that really just totally grabbed me and i'm still um kind of consumed by uh taking in and researching this information and trying to get it out to people and there's a whole group of of uh like what's the word uh ideas that prevent people from seeing what's right in front of them. Yeah. And and even when they see what Scripture says, they ignore it because they have these other beliefs instead. And one of them is about unity, that unity is so important that God wants us to have such unity that we're, we should really be willing to throw away most of our doctrine so that once we have this unity, then God can do whatever it is he wants to do. And ten different people have dev, ten different answers as to what God wants to do. But it always has something to do with some sort of a revival. Yeah. And it's up to us to get God to kind of free things up so that God can do what he wants to do by by our workings here on earth. Right. And it really wears people out. And I would say anybody who's serious about revival, a guy like Lou Engel, he's 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 committed himself to revival. Bill Johnson, he's totally committed his church to revival. None of these guys have ever actually read or taken seriously the writings of Jonathan Edwards, yet they all refer to the first great awakening in America as the thing that they are trying to build on. And yet, if they were to read Jonathan Edwards, they would find out very quickly that everything they're doing is heretical. Everything they're doing is the opposite, the complete opposite of what he taught. Uh, I was just reading the other day about how the Encyclopedia Britannica 
declared that Jonathan Edwards was the greatest intellectual mind in all of American history. He lived in the 1700s. So he was, he's, he's actually more respected by the secular world than he is in many cases by the church world. Um, and I'm saying all this because I got a book of Jonathan Edwards. I haven't even read all of his work and most people haven't. It's, it's gigantic. He's, he's written so much that it's astounding, but when he talks about revival, he talks about revival completely differently than these people are talking about it. Right. And it, it really bothers me that they actually make reference to him and they pretend to be carrying on what he started when they are not. Far from it. In fact, uh, you know, based upon you know Edwards' deep theological conviction and understanding of the Scripture, I think Edwards would say to these uh, folks at Hillsong that they are hanging by a spider's thread over the flames of yeah. hell and they need to repent. You know, he would. I, uh, my my way of saying it was that he would intellectually and theologically beat the crap out of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in in the name of Jesus, of course. You know. <laughs> yes. In the name of Jesus. Do you guys remember though the show that you, the three of us did about the New Apostolic Reformation a few months ago? We talked about yeah. those the the hallmarks of what you know. Maybe your church has these things in it. Um, you know, you might not be following you Lou Engel or any of those guys, but uh, but if you're talking about these things, there's some things you need to check out. And um, all of these phrases seem to fit into these songs that Hillsong uh, markets to us. Um, for instance, uh, kingdom rather than the gospel of the cross, you, you hear about uh, the, uh, the kingdom, the mountains, uh, and that kind of thing. You, you hear about destiny and presence and glory mm-hmm. presence and that kind of thing. Um, and of course, revival, which we just talked about in unity, all of those things uh, are in contained in these songs and they're preparing us for a very different gospel, a very different Jesus, a very different uh, scripture. So, right. um, so I, I just want to say, you know, if, if people who are listening to this think we're nitpicking, start to research what Hillsong believes in. Start to research yeah. the New Apostolic Reformation, mm-hmm. and uh, what this all points to is is really this theology takes us away from biblical doctrine onto something else. It takes us away from sola scriptura, and for sure it takes us away from the sufficiency of scripture, and, and right. that's the key, because now you need you need to ignore the word and go on to something else. Right. And our good friends at Church Watch Central have done a ton of research about Hillsong, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just totally glossed over. The uh, Hillsong Corporation is just like any large corporation. It's It's got a PR uh, marketing department that tells the public what they want the public to know, and it, it covers up everything else. Right. But the real history is there if you're interested at, at uh, Church Watch Central. Right. And and the other aspect of this, and we'll, we can, we'll see this begin to be fleshed out in the next uh, song that you know we look at the lyrics, it is that um, this is a theology of human striving, and mm-hmm. uh, ultimately when you create a theology of human striving, you know, and us earning by our surrendering and all this kind of stuff. Um, over and again, God will be portrayed not as uh, omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. Instead, God is portrayed as being quite impotent, you know, and, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, and so you end up with a God who really wants to help you, but you've got to, you've got to do the things necessary to kind of unbind his hands so that he can help you. And, you know, it's, right. it's that voice of the Holy Spirit that I use from time to time on my program. I call him Vince, and, and here's how he talks. He's a, <laughs> He says, Vince. Yeah. I love Vince. Yeah. I, this is the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, I, I, I really, I really want to help you out. And, um, but my, my, my hands are tied. I mean, yeah. 
And, and so, you know, I've got all this stuff that I really want to give you. I like, want to bless you and heal you. And, and like, I want to create unity and like help you change the world and have your, your dreams. But, uh, you know, uh, there, you've got to activate this stuff because I'm totally powerless until you do your thing. And so if you could like surrender more or praise me more or, you know, like, you know, do the unity thing more and love more, you know, cause then that really, frees me up to be able to give you those blessings because i can't do anything until you do that you know i love that because you're taking these ideas to their logical conclusion and you're using you know some silliness but it's really true that is the holy spirit that they're talking about not in every single word in every single song but overall that's the picture you have to come away with right exactly it's so you know you know, my question is, I, as I read these lyrics, am I dealing with the omnipotent God or am I dealing with a, a very impotent God that really relies on us to do things? Yeah, you know? I just I just wrote about Carl Lenz and just posted that this morning about the interview he did with Oprah. And he's the Hillsong New York City pastor. Yep. And he did the very same thing. He said he's trying to get people uh, to open up. Uh, oh, gosh, how did he put it? Here, I've got it right here because it was such a good example of this very idea. Um, this is professional. Yeah, yeah. He's speaking in tongues. I don't even know how to interpret that. I'm a Lutheran, you know. Jesus, he says, because of Jesus, you have the right to put your hand up and totally start a new cycle. That, to me, is the essence of what we're trying to do. Sounds like laundry. That's exactly what I put in my article. I said, what is he talking Seriously, about? Seriously, I didn't oh, read it yet. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, and then he says, rinse, and then Len says, wash. he's trying to get people to allow God to do what only God can do. Allow him. Allow yes. God to do. Yes. Yeah. So I said, this is a pretend God. Yeah, right. The true and living God revealed by scripture spoke the whole universe into existence and he yeah. doesn't need our permission to do anything. <laughs> What's, what's scary is that you and I uh, thought of um, laundry together. That's, that's <laughs> great minds. You know, they hey, it's brilliant that. minds. Okay. All right. Let's look at, look, look at the next uh, song. It's called Touch the Sky. Here are the lyrics. What fortunes lies beyond the stars? Is this a Hallmark greeting card? What, what is this? I saw this in a fortune cookie once. Hang on. Those dazzling heights too vast to climb. I get so high to fall so far, but I found heaven as love swept low. My heart beating, my soul breathing, I found my life when I laid it down. Upward falling, spirit soaring, I touched the sky when my knees hit the ground. What treasure <laughs> what treasure waits within your scars, this gift of freedom gold can't buy. I bought the world and sold my heart, you traded heaven to have me again. Find me here at your feet again, everything I am, reaching out, I surrender Come sweep me up in your love again. My soul will dance on wings of forever. Wow. What? <laughs> um, I am scratching the, my head. I What on Quite earth? a few things jump out on that song. It's just not one or two. But, you know, and, and somebody could listen to that song and think, well, that's biblical, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's just an artistic way to say something. Um, that, I bought the world and sold my heart. You traded heaven to have me again. What do you make of that line? You traded heaven to have me again. It's an incomplete thought regarding Christ's emptying of himself. And we learn about that in Philippians 2. 
who, though being by very nature of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, being found in the form of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in one sense, they're kind of capturing uh, uh, Jesus is empty of emptying of himself, which is uh, you can call that his kenosis, because that's what the Greek word is. But I, yeah, it's really it's incomplete, and it's it, like this is another one of those really kind of theologically um, ambiguous songs. It's it, chameleonic, and it'll it, it's it, it's only half thoughts, if you would, and right. and whatever theology you bring to it will end up completing it. Right, okay. right. Huh. Yeah, it, to me, it sounds like something from a Lizzie McGuire episode. <laughs> right. If she was going to write a praise song for the junior high dance. Uh, this is what it would sound like. I don't know what the I don't know what the the music sounds like, but these lyrics are just really either that or it's a little bit like a um, uh, somebody took some LSD before they went into their. Writing right. <laughs> if the Beatles had written this, we would say, "Oh yeah, this was during their LSD period." But my heart beating, my soul breathing, I found life when I laid it down. Upward falling, spirit soaring. I touched the sky the when my knees hit the ground. I mean, it's like this reverse yeah. thing. Uh, it, it, it's Picture really yourself in a boat on a <laughs> river. <laughs> we promised we wouldn't sing. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, all right. We, yeah, we're not sure what to make of that. Next one's called Hosanna. Let's see what this one does. I, oh, yeah. I see the king of glory coming on the clouds with fire. Now, i got to stop right there. Okay, if I don't read anything more, immediately the first thing I'm thinking about is Scripture says that when Jesus come, he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. This is talking about the day of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we continue. The whole earth shakes. The whole earth shakes. Sounds like it. I see his love and mercy washing over our all our sin. The people sing. The people sing. I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. With selfless faith. I see a near revival stirring as we pray and seek. We're on our knees. We're on our knees. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. (laughs) That's one we sang a lot. Um, I don't don't remember. Just hearing the lyrics by themselves, though, it's it's really bad. Break my heart with what breaks yours is um, I, I've actually been scolded by this before for being too discerning. Um, I, my heart should be broken for, um, you know, people who are poor and needy and, you know, the, the people that, uh, uh, you know, the have nots we should be serving. Um, but, you know, break your, you know, my, my heart seems to be broken for the wrong things apparently. So uh, I, you know, if I had, spoken up i would have said well you know uh, my heart breaks for actually false teaching but <laughs> the people yeah. who are deceived yeah but that's used a lot for social justice type of things and this is one of those songs that um you know this this rise of i see a generation generation uh, this is really one of those millennial songs it's it's almost like a rah-rah song where mm-hmm. uh we're gonna do this for you god and we're gonna it, it's another kingdom now type of uh, yeah. song yeah, it's kind of got that NAR Joel's Army kind of thing going on with it too. And 
Yeah. It, Aren't we great? Yeah. And, and this, the, we got to point out the fact that Hillsong really is a youth cult. Um, you yeah. know, just, you know, just grow up a little bit and you, you grow out of this stuff because the school of hard knocks will knock this out right out of you. I mean, if you have three kids and one of them as an infant was colicky and you weren't able to get any sleep for two years, you, this'll, you, you're not going to feel like going and conquering the world and rising up to take your place with this generation. You're going to feel like you're barely surviving from day to day. You know, it, yeah. and so and it presents a savior who's always demanding more of us. Yeah. Who's never happy with us. He's he's always expecting us to do more and he needs us so badly. And our heart isn't broken enough yet. It it really does wear people out. Yep. And rather than seeing your good works are done in your vocation as father, mother, husband, wife, child and stuff like that. What ends up happening is, is that the real difficult things in life, which are your good works that you're doing as father and mother and things like that, you don't see that as your good work and you're just exhausted. And now you've got more that you got to do. You got to rise up and take your place with selfless faith and strive to bring the kingdom to earth. And, you know, yeah. I'm exhausted just hearing the lyrics. Uh, yeah, I'm really tired now. Yeah, <laughs> I want to take a nap. Yeah, I need a... more coffee after this. <laughs> I, I got to go get some of that icy hot. My muscles are sore now just thinking about it. <laughs> okay. okay, so next song is titled "That's What We Came Here For." I don't even know if you can fill enough. Yeah, you can fill a thimble with the theology in this thing. Here we go. All of heaven's waiting. Power's on its way. So we shout hallelujah, lifting to you a mighty roar of praise. Not just a regular roar of praise, a mighty roar of praise. But heaven's waiting for... Is this a haiku? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe All you should read waiting. that. Maybe you should read it with an NPR voice, Chris. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I felt really dirty the last time I did that. So. <laughs> Power is on its way. <laughs> Don't do it, Amy. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Okay, I won't. But power is on its way. Uh, so again, this is yeah, this is how I'm taking it now. Uh, if we shout hallelujah with this mighty roar, we will have the power, right? It's on its way. Uh, right, right. But right. heaven's waiting, yeah. right? Heaven's waiting okay. for so, us. To so, do so, so there's Vince. Um, <laughs> all right, I, I'm I'm waiting. Um, I got. I think my, I already told you about this. I, I got lots of power that I can release to you, but um, I'm going to be needing a mighty roar of praise, and you better make it your best mighty roar ever, because otherwise I can't release the power thing. I'm I'm totally waiting on you. Yeah. I can't hear you. <laughs> Come on, church, you can do better than. That. Yeah. You you call, okay, now, you, you call sorry, that a mighty laughing. roar? I mean, serious. I mean. <laughs> Now we got to go on to one of the biggest praise songs oh, in the yeah. entire world. Okay, this this will be the controversial one. Okay, because everybody, I, I don't even listen to Hillsong music, and I've heard of this song. I have never heard it yeah. until okay. recently, but I've even heard of this one, and it's it's Oceans, and oh boy, this is oh, oh man, this is such a bad take on Peter in the walking on the water incident. But here we go. <clears throat> I clear my throat. We read, you call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where my feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery in oceans deep. My faith will stand. I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours and you are mine. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide where feet may fail. Fail, my fear surrounds me. 
You've never failed and you won't start now. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Yeah, the last part was the chorus. That's the part that gets repeated over and over. Okay. Wow. Um, Already we got a big problem here. And number one is this, this is a twisting of the story of Peter walking on the water. If you go and read it, you will note that he failed. And the reason he walked on the water is not because he was, well, he was stretching out in faith. He saw Jesus walking on the water, and he didn't believe it was Jesus. And he said, Lord, if that's really you, call me out to walk on the water, right? And then we all know how he ends up in the drink, right? And Jesus has to save his his you know wet carcass. But <laughs> the other part of this is, is that this is clearly shown as a failure, not a success. And never in Scripture does it describe the walking on the water as some kind of a team-building, faith-building event. It, it's not like Jesus said, okay, now Peter failed. Okay, hey, Matthew, your turn. Come on out, you know, and let's see how you do. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not like that. And what the faith that this is creating is the exact same faith I talked about earlier in the program, that satanic faith that puts God to the test. Yeah. I, I yeah, feel like the song out. sets me up to fail because, you know, you, it, it's one of those things where they could say, you know, we're going to use this song to get you to, you know, that like I went back to before with the worship planning experience. Um, how can we get them to step out in faith in order to do something? And, you know, like you said, Chris, this is this is not a song about uh, victory at all, or at least, the, you know, Peter's uh, experience getting out of the boat. He did not have victory. No. And I feel like, you know, um, the, the song is asking me to strive to do something that I can't do. Yeah. And it, it's saying, um, spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. I'm not sure what that means. And of course, nobody knows exactly what it means because it's ambiguous by its very nature. Well, it's actually worse than that. It's more like postmodern in the sense you're taking yeah. two concepts. Yeah. You know, borders and faith don't actually work together in any kind of a coherent, logical manner. We don't talk about the borders of faith. You know, yeah, and yeah. and so you're taking two really you, two words that never really actually work together because they're not they're not meant to, and then sticking them together poetically in this song, and it, it and it ends up short circuiting rational thought when you start engaging in this kind of hmm. thinking. And then it says, "Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger." In the presence of my Savior. So this is that idea that God is calling you to do certain things that seem impossible. Or they, you, unless God gives you an impossible task, you'll never know what, what you're capable of with his help. Right. So people, it, people yeah. are told whatever you're imagining in your head, that's what God is calling you to do. Right. And people do really dumb things. And I'm, I'm a living example. Like we could do a whole show on the dumb things I did because I thought that's what God wanted. And it can be very destructive in your lives. Right. Save that um, for therapy, Steve. Um. Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> My husband and I actually moved our family to Florida based on what we thought God was telling us to do. And eh, it turns out that was our own wishful thinking to get out of the cold of Minnesota. Uh, but, you know, 
We tried to buy a house we couldn't afford, and it, it, it killed us financially for a number of years. Wow. Because wow. God, God told us, and God told somebody else that we were supposed to buy this house. So you, I mean, you, it, you stepped out in faith onto the waters of a mortgage that you couldn't afford. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, man. and this happens to people all the time, and it doesn't get talked about in the church because it's humiliating, and you yeah. sound like you're a bad Christian because right. if this is your theology, you can't talk about it. There's no answer. The only answer is, well, you got to trust God even more. Yeah. It's and, an endless and, cycle. And of, while you're swimming in death and totally failing and knowing it, you're feeling like, you know, God is this horrible, you know, taskmaster just demanding right. that you do these things to prove your faith to him. Right. And, you know, and yep. so you go to church and how are things going, Brother Kozar? Oh, I'm the head, not the tail. You know, couldn't yeah. be better, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's very painful. Yeah, it is. And and we actually looked for signs. That's, you know, and, and our church affirmed that, you know. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, and that's, and it's so common. Yeah. It's so common that everybody thinks that this is normal Christianity. Yeah. But if you look to Scripture, you, you know, if it was true that we were supposed to always be seeking for specific signs for every little detail of our lives, then that would be something that would be explained in the pages of Scripture. Well, actually, Scripture but, calls that the reading of omens and explicitly yeah. for, forbids it. Right. It forbids it. It doesn't tell us to do it. It tells us not to do it. Yeah. And it it blew me away when I went to a church that uses the Lord's Prayer. You know, I can't tell you how many dumb sermons I've heard in stupid Sunday schools I've been to where they try to tell you about how to discern the will of God or how to pray so that you can hear God. And then Jesus tells us how to pray. The Lord's Prayer. It's, it's like, why don't we just do that? He no, told us what to do, and we're not doing it. No, well, you, when you we do can't, it, you like, can't well, pray not... that way. That's vain repetition. You can't pray that yes. way. Don't pray like Jesus told you to. He was not telling you the truth because that's vain yeah. repetition. It's like uh, you, you want to beat your head against so, a brick wall. It's crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah. We say we believe the Bible, and then when the Bible tells us what to do, we don't do it. We do the opposite, and it's because these stupid pastors have told us this. Yeah. What we're doing is losing a whole – a generation of young people who've been sold this, you know, this yep. how to hear God's voice, and they can't hear God's voice. And um, unfortunately, uh, one of them is is one of my own children who actually heard uh, this in his youth group. Uh, and I will tell you that the damage done by these people is incredible, and and we're yep. still paying for it today. So Me pray too. for that. But yeah, with my kids too. Yeah, I, I could do a whole show about the damage that's been done in my own family because of this bad teaching, this bad theology. And the 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 way that people uh, describe even the word theology today prevents you from ever thinking that what you believe is actually theology. Yeah. Everything you believe about God, whether it's what I believe or what somebody else believes, it's a certain type of theology. But within this NAR world of Hillsong and other churches like it, they're telling you that you shouldn't be concerned about theology, which is itself a theological statement. Exactly. It's just it's disguising itself. Yeah, this is the theology of bringing the kingdom earth through your cosmic risk-taking and showing yeah. God that you have faith so that you can finally release his power to help you through a loud, you know, magnificent roar of praise thingy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, the next part, the last one, the last uh, of the songs we'll take a look at, uh, this one is weird. This is like total mysticism and what's strange to me is that if if i were a roman catholic singing this song it would evoke a a, a you know roman catholic theology of the sacred heart of jesus but let me read the lyrics and see if you can make heads or tails of this 
Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid my, me of myself, I belong to you. Lead me, lead me to the cross, to your heart, to your heart. Lead me to your heart, lead me to your heart. <laughs> yeah, that's a very familiar one, not only um, sung in churches, but uh, also on, on the radio quite a bit. It's a, I can't remember the woman who sings it, um, I'm sure people know, but... Um, that that last that chorus lead me lead me to the cross to your heart to your heart actually the word heart is very drawn out and and you do vocal acrobatics it's a very different song um, but you know the the word heart is drawn out over a long period of time and um, it's interesting and, and churches you know congregations can sing along with this it's very simple but it you know that phrase is repeated over and over and over again and you know I, I strongly believe that if you really want to know what is in Jesus's heart open up his word. And, and read what he said, and then, you know, book cover to book cover, read that Bible, because right. that's his heart. Yeah, like somehow disconnecting and, you know, losing myself in the worship, then I can somehow mystically be led to the heart of Jesus. It's just over the horizon in my mind, I can see it. There it is, blum, 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 blum. That's the heart <laughs> of Jesus. Oh, I've become one with it. You know, this is, uh, it's weird. Yeah, yeah it's... I just found the in my stack of song lyrics here left over from my praise band days. I just found the uh, the two page lyric sheet, and there's actually more lyrics than we've got on the document that we're going by. Okay. Ah, huh. Verse two. It actually says, "You were as I tempted and tried, human. The Word became flesh, bore my sin and death. Now you're risen." Okay. So that's actually something that's a little bit more biblical. Okay. Well, uh, one of the things that I, I see I see in all these songs is in the experience of singing the song, you're asking God to do something in that moment, as opposed to remembering what God has already done. Yeah, and it becomes this. Uh, it's a, it's it's like an activity. You're not just singing a song. You're you're trying to get God to do something for you. Uh, and it might even be a good thing, like when you say, um, lead me to the cross. Uh, well, it, in a sense, that's a good thing to, to be brought to the cross could mean that what you're really wanting is to be reminded of the cross, to be reminded of how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's a great thing. But it turns into uh, do these things in me mystically right now, yeah. which Martin Luther called enthusiasm, yeah. where God is actually not involved externally, he's involved internally. And that, that that gets us into this emotional train wreck because you don't know what's going on internally. Right. Our emotions are all over the place. Right. It's, it's and the, that's what this song turns into. Right. And, and it's this idea that you know, you've heard of soaking, you know. Yeah. That, that's, oh, yeah. You know, somehow, you know, I can go and I can, you know, have some carpet time with Jesus is the way they talk, you know, and I, I'm just going to soak in the presence of God and God's going to do some deep healing while I'm in, having this carpet yeah. time soaking. And it, it's as if somehow the mystical experience itself is where the Holy spirit is really doing his, his deep cleansing and sanctifying and transforming work. And, um, and you know, rather than being transformed and renewed by the word of God, it's I'm being transformed and renewed by the mystical experience thingy. Right. And that's right. something that's going to change every time. You know, it, God gave us his word to protect us from doing that because he knew that if we depended on what's going on internally, we would always get it wrong. 
because our emotions go all over the map. Right. So, so here we have God's word that gives us the assurance of our salvation. It actually is a good thing to be grounded in God's word. Yeah. It's not limiting us. It's giving us that security that he wants for us. And we throw it aside and we say, no, that's not enough, God. We want a mystical experience. We want to feel you internally. Right. We want to somehow experiencing, experience you in a way that you have never promised to give us. It's, it's very yeah. blasphemous in a way. Yeah, and yet, you know, and yet Christ himself says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, the word of God is like our spiritual bread and daily bread at that, that through which God feeds us, sustains us, sanctifies us, you know, transforms us and keeps our faith on Christ. And they, they, they eschew all of that as somehow getting in the way of the spirit. Right. Whereas now I'm going to go into this altered state of consciousness and, and I'm going to lose myself in the worship and now God's going to, through this mystical experience, begin to really transform me. Right. And right. when we zone out, um, it's really interesting because we don't think about the words that, that we sing. Uh, you know, we're, we're into the music and the, into the moment. So now, if you've ever noticed, it's quite common for um, band leaders to uh, kind of break in and exhort uh, the people to really, I, I want you to, you know, I know you're zoning out. I know you're really into this music, but I really want you to concentrate on the words. So even they recognize that uh, that you're zoning out there. But um, <laughs> if you start to look at uh, what Hillsong is about, and I think this is a, a really important point to make, um, Christ and his word, the sufficiency of scripture, that's not the chief cornerstone of, of what Hillsong is all about. You know, we, nope. we've established many times it's yep. really about something else. It's And, and they'll even admit um, it's centered around Brian Houston and uh, those who submit to his vision. So uh, again, you, you know, when your church sings one of their licensed praise songs, we're actually lining Brian Houston's pocket and carrying out mm. his vision. But, you know, he, he does teach this word of faith gospel, this NAR gospel that teaches, you know, God wants you to be rich and you can tap into the power of God and, and change the world. And Hillsong Church does not exist to preach the word of God. And I think people think that. Uh, they don't exist to draw people to Christ. They, they exist to draw people to their music. And that's what makes them money. It, it gives them extreme wealth and power. Yeah. So, um, you know, that and the fact that they, uh, frequently participate in ecumenical worship with Rome, uh, you know, and, and other religions is is just nuts. And they're sin approving. So, uh, you know, take all of those things into account when we're discerning their music. What is the theology behind it? And what is it that they're all about? And do we really want this in our church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great points. Well, guys, I think we've uh, I think we've done a, a very, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say theologically completely thorough, but we've done a good <laughs> cursory look at you know at, at you know a, a wide spectrum of the different songs published by Hillsong and I got to tell you I'm not seeing any reason whatsoever compelling reason you know to include any of these songs at our church in fact I can see every reason possible biblically why we should not be singing any of these songs nor should we be singing any songs that would financially support the ongoing theology and vision of a guy like Brian Houston who's clearly got a different theology than biblical theology and is p- promoting a Christianity that looks nothing like biblical, historic Christian orthodoxy. Yeah, I agree. I, I have to say I agree. And I'm uh, as somebody who played this music and supported it, I'm totally satisfied and in, in totally setting it aside now. And I don't listen to this music anymore. I don't sing these songs anymore. And I don't mind it one bit. I don't miss it one bit. 
I'm much happier now without it. Right. And and the next time you see a popular Hillsong song, you know, that you know, coming down the pike, turn the music off and read the lyrics and open up your Bible. This yeah. is, you know, it I mean, just a cursory look at the lyrics with just a little bit of biblical cynicism or skepticism, saying, wait a second, let's check to see if this really actually is what the Bible's teaching. Will you know, will save you a lot of heartache, you know, as far as, you know, having to sit there and repent and and you know what I'm seeing over and again is just theologically vapid, shallow, and false and heretical. And it seems like you know when you include the whole package, including the music, everything is designed to turn your brain off rather than having you engage your brain with what Scripture really teaches and summarizing right. and proclaiming the great doctrines and truth of the Bible in a in a modern and contemporary way. That's not what they're doing at all. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm going to go take a shower now after <laughs> spending the last 2 hours talking about Hillsong. Yeah, you know, I I I, I yeah, I got to do that. Too. <laughs> I think like I need to go to the gym and burn off some of these bad mystical calories that attach <laughs> themselves to my spirit while doing this. So <laughs> Anyway. Well, you've got another section of show. I, I as I hear it, it's going to get even better now that we're gone. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Now that now we're finally going to get to the meet the, the program, but we're gonna we're gonna take a listen to in just a minute, um, you know, just a, a a little bit to a gentleman by the name of Jeff Bullock, who was one of the early songwriters uh, for Hillsong, and and him talking about where he is now, some of the songs he helped write, he's changed the lyrics because he recognizes that the theology that he was promoting in some of the early Hillsong songs that he wrote, it was a theology of striving and trying to earn and attain your salvation. And he has since repented of that. And, you know, when he's, he rarely appears in public, but when he does appear in public and, and sings some of these songs, he changes the lyrics so that the emphasis on, is on Christ and what he's done rather than what he's striving to do. So we'll pick that up in just a little bit. So Amy and Steve, thank you for taking uh, the time to come on the program. Look forward to sure. the next time we uh, you know get together with our pirate gang and have one of these conversations. And we'll pray that as controversial as this program potentially could be, that it will help open the eyes of people to the fact that what they think is worship and what they think is them experiencing the Holy Spirit um, it's neither. This is manipulation right. and theological error at best. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's sad but true. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you soon. Bye, Chris. Now, I know that what we've discussed so far is a lot to consider, but there's something more I want you to think about. And I just mentioned it with uh, Amy and Steve. And we're going to ask the question, who is Jeff Bullock? If you don't know the history of Hillsong, this is an important person to know who he is and the role he played in the creation of what has become known as Hillsong. Jeff Bullock, um, in fact, he made the Christian Life Center in the Hills District into an international success with his music back in the 1990s. You're thinking, well, what is the Christian Life Center in the Hills District? Well, that's what has come to be known as Hillsong. Yeah, that's right. Um, Jeff Bullock, Pat Masidi, um, and uh, and others helped put together the CLC Music Conference. Mm -hmm. However, Jeff Bullock, he used to call it the Hills 
Song Conference. Then later it became the Hillsong Conference. And because their Hillsong Conference was more internationally known than CLC, Brian Houston changed the name of the Christian Life Center to Hillsong. Yeah, that's right. And um, in something that, in an interview done with uh, Jeff Bullock years ago, where he talks about, you know, the songs that he wrote while at Hillsong Christian Life Center in the Hills District, um, he notes that this theology in the songs that he was writing, um, that they were word of faith, and they were all about the thing I had to do and striving. Here's something from an interview that was uh, done with Jeff Bullock a while back. Here's what it says. From the beginning of Hillsong's association with the Word of Faith churches in America, their prosperity doctrine and their very works-based doctrine of spiritual and physical rewards, Jeff Bullock says, I just could not tie the gospel together with what they were saying. Not when I looked at Jesus at the cross. I couldn't understand how they combined the grace of Jesus found in the gospel with the laws of conditional blessings and rewards found in the Old Testament. They teach that Jesus rewards us according to our works. That is not the work of Christ. Grace is never a a reward. We receive grace as a gift according to what Jesus has accomplished for us, Jeff Bullock wrote. I actually tried to leave in 1992, but got turned around. It's important to say I chose to stay and rededicate all that I could to continue being part of their vision and the outworking of it. Then in 1995, I had two major things happen. I had this sensation that I really didn't know Jesus. I knew Paul's Jesus. I knew the epistles, Jesus and the Hebrews, and I knew my movements, Jesus, all the preachers and teachers who came through and spoke about him. But in my own life, I felt I did not have this sense of meeting him, and so I started to search. That's when I wrote the song, uh, Jesus, God's Righteousness Revealed, toward the middle of the year. I started to really burn out because I was trying so hard to prove myself worthy of being who I was and trying to prove myself worthy of God's presence on a Sunday. I had this poor, misguided feeling that if I play really, really well, God will come. It might sound stupid to say it, but it was where I think lots of church musicians still are. But after Hillsong 1995, I just felt so broken and so failed. I thought, look, I could just fall over dead and no one would notice. And then I had this profound sense and it grew. In fact, I would say it was the strongest spiritual encounter I had with God where he said through a whole lot of ways to do something that I had to go. And it took three months and a whole lot of conversations, but eventually I wrote a letter and handed it on by a friend. I didn't have the courage to do it to their face, but I knew that if I didn't do what I felt God was saying, I had a choice, either to follow God or follow the church. In the end, I'd rather build my relationship, my spirituality, on trying to discern what God's saying to me, and that's how I left. And it really was the great divorce. It was unnecessarily bitter and divisive, And that I found very confusing. There were letters written to other churches. There were approaches made to other churches. There was a statement made to the whole church leadership team. They just couldn't understand what I was doing. But in the end, that's just human, and it's very painful. Yeah, Jeff Bullock, you know, he noted that the theology of the prosperity heresy, 
is all about striving to earn God's blessings and grace. It's all merited. That's right. This is a guy who was there at Hillsong before it was even called Hillsong. And if it weren't for Jeff Bullock, Hillsong probably wouldn't be called Hillsong today. Here's a little bit of uh, Jeff Bullock talking about how and why today when he performs particular songs that he helped write when he was at Hillsong, he changes the lyrics. And this is not from somebody who is, you know, some foreigner, never doesn't know anything about Brian Houston or Bobby Houston or the word, you know, nah, this guy was there before they even were called Hillsong. Listen to what he says. God comes, comes, comes to us. Unmerited, unconditional love. That's a way for invitation. He's not turned away by things that we think would turn him away. And I was in the middle of one of my striving periods and I felt totally miserable. Totally miserable. And I sat down at the piano. Uh, they had a piano, obviously, and I sat down at it. And I just... I remember saying in my mind, Lord, I don't, I don't want to write a song. I'm not wanting to write a song. I just want to... I just want to have some time with you. I just want to pray and play. And so I just went this. Lord, I come to you. Just like that. I didn't know my life was about to change. Let my heart be changed. Renewed. But flowing from the grace. Well, you know the rest. But you can hear right from the very first line. And I don't want to take away, this is a sacred song to many people. It's a sacred song to me. But the fact that I'm still saying, Lord, I come to you, shows that I haven't got it yet. I wish I wrote then. I can't write it now because I really can't change the first verse. I really wish I said, Lord, you come to me. Oh, it's so much better. You're coming. I don't have to do anything, do I? Just receive Lord, you come to me. That's what Christianity is all about. You come to us. Wouldn't that be a better thing to sing? And so I've changed the words. Some of the words. And so have a, have a look at the words and you'll notice the changes. And if you wish to sing along, mind you, I'd just be quite happy for you to be silent and, and think about the miracle that we don't have to ask God to hold us close. He's holding his cross. Right. Now, I'm not going to play the song, but uh, we'll put a link up to this video with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And you can hear, again, this is a Hillsong insider there at the beginning who sees the conflict between earning God's favor and blessing and having and receiving it unmerited by grace through faith alone, not by our striving. And one of the initial... Writers of Hillsong music. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? Do lyrics matter? Well, they matter so much that the guy who wrote early Hillsong songs can't sing the lyrics the way they originally were written because it's all about our striving and our earning rather than our receiving by grace through faith as a gift. Fascinating. And Hillsong today still continues to write songs that teach us that, uh, well, it's based upon our 
striving and doing and earning and proclaiming and saying and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Hillsong music? Hmm. Wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Not if they want to stay in the faith, keep their eyes on Christ. Understand that we've got it all by grace through faith apart from works. Not if they care about sound doctrine and the truth. Hillsong music is not full of the truth. It's full of half-truths and a lot of error. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. And the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>